Hi, everybody. This is Tony Kahn, the producer and director of Morning Stories from WGBH in Boston. Morning Stories, the podcast, is on leave while we move to new studios. So for the next three weeks, we're going to bring you Morning Stories, the radio series. A while ago, we gathered some of our favorite morning stories into three half-hour radio programs. This gave us a chance not only to listen again to some of the most compelling stories that you've told us, but a chance to hear what those stories had to say when we put them next to each other. Well, in this week's episode, called Common Ground, we hear from a German woman in America, an American woman in Austria, a Brazilian immigrant who came back to her people, and a citizen of five different countries who's still looking for a home. I have a friend from Brazil named Fatima. Five years after we met, soon after 9-11, in fact, I asked her if it would be okay for me to record her story. To my surprise, Fatima treated it as a formal occasion. She came to my house with her two daughters dressed in their Sunday best, bringing a house gift of Brazilian chocolates and cookies. While her five-year-old played with our cats and her 12-year-old Mitali looked after her, Fatima told me things she had never touched on before. When I look back now, I think I understand what the occasion may have meant to Fatima, a chance for all the people in her world and all the people in mine to begin to talk to each other heart to heart. When I was seven years old, my mom was killed. And I saw it. I never met my father. And so, after that, my relatives take care of me, but not like a daughter. But as a servant girl, that's why I know how to clean. (laughs) But something inside of me always tells me to go on, never give up. When I was 18 years old, I get married and we have our children. And when they start to grow, I was like, oh my God, what can I give to them living here in Brazil? They are going to be just like me. (laughs) They are not going to get a good education to help people and have the opportunity to move on in the world. That's when we decide to to come to America. When we arrived here, we work really hard, really, really, really hard. My husband helps me clean house. He delivers papers and he works delivering pizzas. But we are illegal. If you are illegal, you are not able to drive. You can't have a job, but you can spend money. (laughs) And there aren't any door open. I feel invisible to the world. In my eyes, I think that Americans, they live like, how I say, they create a wall you cannot see inside. Like if you talk to me, you can see my face. And also, you can see a little bit of me. And I cannot see in you. They don't let you in. And it's so 
so sad. It happened a lot, you know? Like, when Americans get older, I've seen a lot of them at the nursing home, and it breaks my heart. They feel lonely. They work hard their whole entire life. They don't, sometimes they don't even have time to see what means a family to be together around the table having dinner or doing nothing but be together and then they will spend the rest of their lives in a nursing home with nursings that they have never met it's oh my god I'm working now for my kids, Mitali. She's 12 years old, and I think that she don't think like a 12 years old girl. She's really smart, she studied at East Somerville. For some people, the school of Somerville is not good, but for, for them, it's excellent. <laughs> excellent because in Brazil, they don't have what they have in here, you know? And she's doing really, really well. After September 11, if a policeman stops me and they see that I'm not legal, they can handcuffs me and my husband as if we are a criminal. Imagine how my kids will feel. Oh my God. And I know a lot of immigrants that are really concerned. It's really hard for you live in a place that I say, I'm not legal here. I'm doing something wrong. This feeling, if you are a person who wants to do things right, kills yourself. If I could stay and like study a career, I probably will study something to work with kids because if I'm a good mother, if I know how to raise my children, healthy, with good feelings, walking at the bright side, I think I could help a lot of kids too. And I could do a really good job, not just because of the money, but because you are helping someone when they need and I know what means need something and get it. And even now, like in my case, we are thinking about go back, be more close with people, more human warm, human warm. Yeah, I think we feel more it. I think so. I miss it. Human warm. I love it. I love it. Just love it.
Thanks to Fatima for that story. I'm here in the studio with Gary Mott, and we've received some emails in response to Fatima's story, quite a few of them, in fact. Many listeners wrote to express their sympathy for Fatima's struggle to better her children's future without causing them shame. Others did not. Here's an email from a woman named Nandini. I'm from India and have spent half my life in the United States. I have found that the experiences a person has are a function of how much energy they put into truly understanding the new society in which they make a home. Fatima claims that Americans live behind walls. They neither take a personal interest in her nor share their lives with her. I would suggest that this is a result of different ideas of privacy rather than a mean spirit or closed-mindedness. I can tell countless, countless instances of where friends, colleagues, and neighbors have been kind, honest, and welcoming to me and my family. Well, we have another email here from a man in Boston who writes, The sobbing Brazilian illegal alien managed to further convince me that doing more to exclude these violators of our national borders is absolutely necessary. She presumed to tell us how bad our culture is, like a burglar leaving a note on your kitchen table saying that you didn't have enough snacks available in your kitchen. He goes on in the letter, Gary, to tell us that uh, he comes from an immigrant family that arrived in the U.S. legally uh, three generations ago. Tony, imagine Fatima and this man in the same room. Mm talking about their families, their upbringing, their youth. Exchanging personal stories rather than, uh, you know, continuing an argument that goes on possibly forever. Yeah, I, I would just bet that they would find some common ground. When I was 15 years old, I saw this picture of this little girl and her brother. This little girl, you know, was kind of holding her brother. I mean, I still feel like crying now. And incredible forlorn uh, in her eyes. Scared, forlorn. And she was on the transport. Ilona Kufal was born in Germany soon after World War II and came to America as a young woman, like Fatima. For her, though, family was a burden she was trying to escape. It's like this was like beyond belief for me. I couldn't forget that. Everybody said, you know, why are you even thinking about it? You weren't even born then. So just forget about it. But I couldn't. I couldn't forget that. And whenever I asked him, my father would go, you don't understand anything. And he would blow up. I could not reach him. And my mother would be very mad at me, too, because she said always like I was hating Germany. When I first came to this country, I was uh, 22. I rejected Germany. When I heard German on on the street, I would go to the other side. I was at NYU School of the Arts in Drama. And a professor had us create a character. So I created Olga, who was a resistance fighter. So 
She was in Berlin, and she was smuggling arms and helping Jewish people to escape and all of that. And my professor said, very good, looks good. Now I want to see the opposite. I want to see the opposite. And so I created Helga. And Helga was a Nazi, married to a Nazi and a believer. And what I realized was I could play her just as well as I could play Olga. I have Olga and I have Helga. I have to acknowledge that. I have to see it inside of me. Yes, my father was a Nazi an officer in the Waffen-SS, yeah. And my grandfather was an official in the Nazi party, yes. I felt sometimes like I had this ton of guilt on my shoulders. It was like so heavy, you know. For a long time, I hated my father. I mean, I remember being 18 and feeling like, I hate him so much. So much. <sighs> what I wanted was to reach out to the other side. To the children of survivors. I realized that we had something in common. Although our experiences had been very different, the shadow of the Holocaust was, you know, hanging over both of us. You know, it's not just black and white. And once I was able to see that, I could take kind of a step back and see more clearly and even talk about the unspeakables. about the love I also felt for my father. He died of cancer, and my mother told me that the last few weeks, he was thinking about it a lot, and it was very painful. That there had been some things that he felt very, very guilty about. And um, that he was just at the end, you know, just really in it, the enormity of it all. Yeah. What I would have wished, I think, is for him to perhaps cry about it himself. I think, hmm, in some ways, as Olga, I protected myself very much. I was an ideal person. It's like, it's all good. In some ways, Helga was more real, insofar as she was more honest about her feelings at times. I mean, 
Helga was not all evil. And Olga wasn't all good. You would hope that both had gone the journey of starting to see that what they were doing was not being connected. I think my granddaughter is helping me a lot with that. I can be open and loving with her without fear. I just love her so much that I want to be connected with her all the time. Hmm. It's been a long, long, long journey to, to being a real human being. That's Ilona Kufal. We got a lot of email in response to Ilona's story, including a blog entry from a listener in Austria named Pam Mandel. We called up Pam to hear her story, inspired by Ilona's. So I was listening to her show, and I'm sitting here, and you know, I'm sitting here in Austria, and it's a beautiful sunny afternoon, and there are cows in the meadow next to our balcony, and the story, oh, it just was just so personal, you know. Mm-hmm. Pamela, would you read us your blog entry? I'd be happy to. For many years, my parents insisted they would never visit Germany. We're Jewish, and the history, well, you know. They've extended that ambivalence towards Austria, but since I married an Austrian, they wanted to see his homeland and have moderated their views a little. The parents are staying up on the hill at a farmhouse. After we got them settled in, we were invited to join the family for coffee. While we were sitting there, the old man came in. He's 88 and still farming. As a much younger man, he was a POW. He got picked up in northern Africa and sat out almost all of the war in a fenced yard in Texas. He picked cotton as prison labor. When he was finally released and transported back to Austria, the Red Cross shipped him a guitar that they'd given him when he was a prisoner. He still has his guitar. He likes country music. And he says he's going to take it out and play it for us sometime while the parents are still here. When he was finally released, he actually wanted to stay in the U.S., but they tossed him out. Sure they did, said the woman to his right. They had to throw out all the Nazis. She whacked him on the arm and laughed. And his son said, so much better than having to live with the memories of what happened during the war. Hmm. The old man said that during his time in uniform, he sat in a bunker holding a rifle. But he never shot the thing. Never shot it at anything or anyone. My stepfather reached over and patted him on the arm as a way of thanks. On day two, we had coffee and cake with my mother-in-law and went for a lovely walk by the lake. The only past we talked about was what the family had been doing with their summer. Wow. It was very moving. I felt really honored to be the person doing the translations. It was an incredible experience. Thank you, Pamela. Thanks a lot, Tony. All right, take care. You too. Uh-huh, bye-bye. Bye. Tony, I've got some other responses to Ilona's story. I'd like to read one letter from a guy named Michael in Winnipeg, Canada. Yeah, that one was especially surprising. Mm -hmm, Yeah. He writes, Both of my grandfathers fought for Germany, one in the Army and one in the SS. The last thing my parents would ever do is share the family history with us. We were told never to mention it to anyone, not to our friends and definitely not to our teachers. My dad simply didn't want to talk about what his father did in the war. That is, until his father passed away a few years ago. I was asked to give the eulogy for a man I hardly knew. And that's when the stories came. The battles he fought in, his brush with death, shot through the neck, being decorated a war hero. After the war, he was captured by the Soviets and sentenced to death. 
The night before his execution, he managed to escape and find his way to West Germany. Once there, he found out that his family was still stuck in East Germany, so he crossed back into the East, without papers, of course, and smuggled his family to safety in the West. If it wasn't for his bravery and love for his family, I wouldn't be here today, and I knew none of this until he had passed away. <laughs> Boy. Ilona Kufal, by the way, has devoted much of her life to an organization called One by One, which encourages conversations in the exchange of personal stories between people of seemingly irreconcilable sides in world conflicts. You know, Garrett, I grew up knowing somebody like Ilona. Her name was Kathy. She was the daughter of a Hungarian family that had escaped the Nazis to New York, and she was born in New York. She grew up without a direct experience of World War II, but a very deep experience of the Cold War that came afterwards. Once again, the world divided into two sides, this time the U.S. and the USSR. And because her parents were pro-Soviet, they were suspected of being spies, and they had to flee the United States about 1950. At age 11, Kathy is in exile, born in New York of Hungarian parents, living in Mexico, which was where I met her because my family was in exile, too, for the same reasons. Well, five years later, my family moves back to the United States, and Kathy and her mother and father leave, too. Not to the U.S., though, but back to her parents' homeland in Soviet Hungary. On the boat to Europe, her parents told her a secret that they'd kept all of her life, that they weren't Catholic, they were Jewish. They didn't get any farther than communist East Berlin, though, where her father became ill and died. Kathy is discovered by a German theater director in East Berlin. She was beautiful, gifted actress, and they cast her in the role of Anne Frank in the first performance of The Diary of Anne Frank ever staged in Germany. She becomes famous, and she stays in East Berlin where she becomes a movie star known all over Eastern Europe and the mother of four kids. I totally lost track of Kathy until one day, about 35 years after we'd gone our separate ways, she shows up with her four kids at my brother's doorstep in New Hampshire. By then, she left acting, she had become a child psychologist, and she had just left her second husband, who was threatening to have her called an American spy if she didn't come back home. I'll never forget the first impression that I had of her at that time. She was still beautiful, was a lovely person. She was trying to do her best, but life and history had just given her no sense of home. She had three passports. She spoke five languages, all of them in an accent that I don't think you could have placed. In fact, I asked her that night what language she was most fluent in. You know what she said? None of them. Wow. What happened to her well, after that? She had this tough choice whether to stay or to go. She wants to begin a life of her own. She doesn't know where to start. And she decided on a whim to go back to her first home in New York City, the place where it had all begun for her and that she might never again see she goes to the apartment. Nothing has changed. She knocks at the door, and somebody says, come in. She opens the door, and she sees this old couple at the kitchen table. 
she says, uh, forgive me for intruding on you, but I wonder if I could come in and look at the apartment. I used to live here as a little girl. They looked at her and they say, you must be Kathy. How did you know who I was? Come in, we'll show you. And they take her to her old bedroom, and there, on the floor of the bedroom, written in little letters made out of flowers, painted on, is her name, Kathy. It was something that her father, who adored her, had written when she was a kid. They're so touched by it that they decide they're never going to change it. So they raise their own kids in this apartment. And for 35 years, as they grow up and as the parents grow older, they sit around, and every once in a while at the kitchen table, they ask themselves, Whatever happened? Whatever happened to Kathy? Kathy said that for her, that was the end of one journey. What she found was love. That might be the most of home she would ever know. But at least after 50 years or so, it was a start. How's Kathy doing now? Still looking for home. She might retire in Florida, she says. (laughs) (laughs) I thanks to everybody who's told their story to us and everybody who's written in reply. And thanks to Magnatune.com for providing some of the music used in this program. Our website, wgbh.org slash morningstories. Spend some time with stories. They'll do you some good. Morning Stories is a production of WGBH Boston. Assistant producer for Morning Stories is Gary Mott. The producer of this broadcast is Melena Spitzer. I'm Tony Kahn. Join us next time for more stories from your neighbors around the world. Hello, Fatima. Yes, it's me. It's wonderful to hear your voice. Uh, thank you. The same to you. <laughs> How long has it been since you've been gone, Fatima? One year and a half. Oh, what do you not miss about the United States? Working very hard. <laughs> and also, well, being so lonely sometimes. One person said nobody should feel sorry for people like Fatima. She was taking away jobs, and they don't deserve to be here. What would you say to somebody like that? Well, Tony, they are in the right of thinking like that because they don't have the same life that I have. So they don't know what is to have a dream. I don't don't wish that nobody, uh, how I say, Yo no deseo que, ni, que nadie necesite hacer eso algún día. Para nadie. You, you hope that nobody has to go through what you went through. Yes, no, no, no. Hmm. Not even me. <laughs> <laughs> Does it seem like a year and a half to you? No. Sometimes less. Time is flying by very quickly. And I, I just can't believe when I look to my children and I 
see how grow up they are. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> It's like another opportunity. That's when we can see that how beautiful, how important it is to be alive. Remember at all, one time that I told you that I was going to your house and I stopped by to see the river and just to breathe? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we must do that. Breathe. Yes. <laughs> it's breathe. so wonderful. Okay. <laughs> All right? All right, I promise you. Take care of yourself. Okay, bye. And and my love to everybody. All right. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye, Tony. Say hi to Harriet. I shall.